0: Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special Audio Highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. Will you please welcome <laughs> David Sedaris to West Coast great to see you looking
1: uh, resplendent in a tie. You always have the most interesting collection of ties that you choose from to wear. Well, I never get to dress up, so when I go on a book tour, I try my best. But I think it's not the tie you're thinking about. It's my tan. (laughs) (coughs) I was uh, signing books the other day, and I met this woman, and I said, did you just get back from vacation? You look great. And she said, no, it's spray-on. So I went to one of those places. And you stand in a room, and you push a button, and it's like these jet streams bow to you. And
0: like a car wash?
1: Yeah, it's like a car wash. And then you come out, and you look the same way you did when you walked in, but then over the course of the day, you tan. You slowly darken. So has this change the pigment? Does it dye the skin? What, what
0: happens?
1: Well, your hands and feet turn orange, so you're supposed to cover them with uh, like a goop, but I didn't quite do it, and so I... Enough... So the backs of my, the bottoms of my palms were orange, but now it's starting to wear off. It just lasts for a few days, but it's, it's fun. There, there was that substance, what was it, QT,
0: copper tone. QT? Do you remember this? Yeah. You'd rub it on, and it would turn people orange sometimes. It was, it was uh, something in the, in the 60s you could rub it on. You self-rubbed it.
1: Right, 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 right. But they have a bronzer that you can request. When you get yourself tan, and the woman said, well, you can have the bronzer. She said, it smells really bad, and it turns you orange, which is not a big recommendation for it. So I... And hardly bronze. Right, so I went, I went without it. But it makes me uh, so happy, this little
0: tan. There was a, uh, there was a line in a, in a book by Sean Wilsey I read recently, and he talked about shaking hands with the husband of Danielle Steele, John Trainer, at his father's funeral. And he said, he shook my hand tanly. Uh, there was a great, a great adverb, a great ad, you know, way of describing that look. So let me shake your hand here again, and then a tan handshake. Can't you see the, the blue blazer with the gold buttons there?
1: Yeah, a, a tan handshake implies sails to me. Or sailboating. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay.
0: the, so this is, uh, do you have other kinds of body ornamentation?
1: Oh, no, no, just a tie, you know, and a little fake tan. That's all I, that's all I want.
0: But uh, no tattoos anywhere?
1: Oh, no, 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 no. I, uh, no. I mean, I met, I met somebody recently who had made in Japan tattooed on the bottom of their feet. <laughs> and if you were going to get one, that seemed the best possible thing to do, but no. How, what were the circumstances of displaying the bottom of the foot? Well, I mean, that was the thing. I think they just wanted to be wild, and they wanted to have a tattoo, but they didn't really want the the negative side of it. So they got the bottom of their foot tattooed, which no one will ever, you know. I mean, nobody will ever see that. I anyway. If, if I had to get one, that's what I. That's where I'd get it, I suppose. <laughs> On the bottom of your foot. Yeah, that's a good place, I suppose, for a tattoo. Where is Odell, Oregon? Odell, Oregon is near Hood River. Um, that's like the n- nearest larger town. And it's, I think it's like an hour and a half from Portland. I, I lived there for a while and I don't, I never, I've never driven a car. So it's hard for me to place it. You could only see Mount Hood in the distance, but it's just this little town where I lived for oh, a couple of years and I picked apples.
0: You picked apples and read short stories.
1: Yeah, uh, there was a little library there. You know, just, uh, and I was never a big reader in high school. And I was living there by myself in a trailer, and I thought, I know, I'll read. So I started <laughs> started reading a lot of the books that you're supposed to read in high school that I never did. Flannery O'Connor. Oh, she's the greatest to me. I, I, It'll be interesting to see what happens to her, because she, to me, was the the best short story writer of the last century. But language-wise, she uses a word that's problematic that you you probably couldn't have in classrooms today. I taught her. I taught. It's unfair of me even to call it teaching. I I wore a tie. uh, (laughs) uh, You wore a tie. I wore a tie at a college once. And (laughs) I had my students read her. And all of the discussion was about what a racist she was. Um, they, they couldn't, she, you know, she lived in South Georgia in, uh, in, in the 50s, so she was reflecting her world, but the students could not get beyond that. So, and, and, and I think to survive you need to be in schools, you need to be taught in schools, so it'll be interesting to see what happened to her. But I, I can't, I, th- I just think she's incredibly funny, funny, or she was an incredibly funny writer.
0: When you when you uh, wrote the introduction to this anthology of short stories that you put together, you say that uh, you are actually drawn to the dark, the macabre. You want to be left with a creepy feeling.
1: Well, I, when, sometimes people will say to me, "Oh, that was so depressing," and that's the highest recommendation that anybody can <laughs> can give something. I, I think, I, uh, I mean, the the anthology was just to 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 raise money for this literacy program, but they asked me to edit an anthology of humor, but I don't really, I don't seek humor out. I don't have anything against it, but I don't seek it out. So, I just asked if I could collect my favorite stories. The hard thing, and it says edited by David Sedaris, and edited makes it sound like I pulled out a red pencil and said, Laurie Moore doesn't need that sentence. When, <laughs> <laughs>
0: let's, let's make uh, Flannery O'Connor a little more politically correct.
1: Right. All I did was put them in order and write an introduction, but that was hard because I'm awful at explaining why I like what I like. I sound like a stone teenager when I I say it's really great, you know, and it's, it's, and it's good, and uh, yeah, it's great, and it's funny, and yeah. I mean, I read other people, and they're very thoughtful. You know, Whenever I read something in, like, I don't know, the New York Review of Books or, and someone writes this incredibly thoughtful analysis of somebody, I'm not smart and I never and I knew it I always knew that I mean I'm clever I could get my if you lock me in a room and, and if you let me keep my wallet I could get out yeah. of that room <laughs> um, but I'm not smart I'm not smart uh, I'm not smart with uh, I can't articulate um, laughter
0: I think you've been extremely eloquent on this subject just there.
1: So I tried writing a smart introduction. And then I thought, well, that's so phony. That's so, the, the, you know, you can write dumber than yourself, but you can't write smarter than yourself, Con- convincingly. So, yeah, I just, I just gave up and basically said, these boys are great. <laughs> this is a, this, a
0: trailer that you were in in, in Oregon. Was it? Was it one that you think it still exists that other
1: people are in nowadays? I would imagine because it was uh, where they put the migrant workers. So I don't think that anyone's ever going to say we we need we need a nicer trailer for those Mexicans. I don't. It's not the kind of thing that people really say. So it's probably still there, right where it always was. Was there something satisfying about
0: picking those apples?
1: Oh, well, you know, when I was young. I was like 20 years old. So I was going through my you know uh Johnny Appleseed uh you know outdoorsy down with uh, you know uh, uh, farm workers uh I mean down with them I mean up with them but I was da- I was down with them
0: You were down with them until to be up with them
1: It was a good it was a good thing uh for a uh, great thing for a young person to do you know outdoor work and uh really satisfying very uh and you got all the apples and pears you could eat.
0: Fruit. I mean, the as free fruit. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? What? Uh, last time we talked, you had moved from Paris to London because of the language difference. You wanted. You got tired of the difference. You still there in London?
1: Well, we go back and forth. I, I like London. I, I like London because there are ten daily papers, and you always can find something in the newspaper in London. Like there was an article. Uh, This white girl was sent home from school for having her hair in dreadlocks. And the principal said, it's not your culture. (laughs) And it won't hold up in court. But if I were king of the world, white people with dreadlocks, first thing to go. If if I could. uh... (laughs) So there's always something in the paper that you read and you think, what? So I, I really like it for that. Do you do you have a, a, a following in, in Great Britain the way you have in, in this country? Well then not really a tradition of reading out loud there. Like Martin Amos could have a book, but he wouldn't read out loud in stores. It's mainly he would do a press, uh you know, a press uh tour. But I read in London and then I just read in Nottingham just before I came here from my book tour. And so there were, I don't know, like seventy-five people, which, you know, it's it's hard starting over, but it it was well, I mean, going to another country and starting over from scratch, I do some stuff on the radio there, but, you know, it's, it's basically just starting all over again, which I think is good. It, it makes you really appreciate it that when you come here and you, uh, you know, so then I really appreciate it when I go to a bookstore and there's lots of people there.
0: There's 750 there.
1: Right, right. I mean, I never not appreciated it, but it makes you appreciate it even more if you have, you know, one-tenth of of that number. But it's nice, because, you you know, you sign books and you ask people what they do, and so it's nice doing that in another country. Like, I go to Germany a lot, and if I were on vacation in Germany, I couldn't ask people, you know, when was the last time you saw your parents naked? I couldn't... (laughs) Because I'm just convinced that Germans, the whole family, sits around naked all the time. Because <laughs> in France, some, there's a lake near our house, and you'll go and you'll see people completely naked, and our neighbors will say, Germans. <laughs> and they are. <laughs> They're always uh, Germans. So it's nice to be able to go and, and ask those kinds of questions in another country. And, you, and just the things that you learn. Is- what about if, when you go to one of those countries, do you have a, a translator accompanying you? In Germany, I have a translator, and in, let's see, in Spain, I didn't, and in the Netherlands, everyone speaks perfect English. And people's English is pretty good in Germany as well. But the last time I was there, I learned there's a, a, um, there's a German labor union, and, and, I, and I can't remember the name of it now, but they were, um, they were making it so that if you work in a store, and if that store plays more than six Christmas songs per hour, you get either a raise or a 10 minute break per hour. Um, <clears throat> Verdi was the name of the union. And then I went to the bathroom in the bookstore, and there was a sticker on the wall. And one sticker showed a man standing to urinate, and there was a big X through it. And the next one showed that same man sitting on the toilet with a, a look on his face that said, I know this is uncomfortable, but it's right. So it's a. It's a national campaign to get men to sit down while they urinate. And, and there are these devices that you can buy that you attach to your toilet seat, and they will tell, they, they, they sense somehow movement, and they'll say in the voice of like Gerhard Schroeder that fines will be imposed if you do not sit down. I, I think it's a losing battle, but. I, I can see why the French didn't want to have a European
0: Union with yeah. the. Exactly <laughs> I mean if you th- if you think about the French approach to the Pissoir, which is you know that right up in the street for people to see, uh, you know yeah.
1: well, I think that's what people hear when you watch the news here, I left France a day after the election, and then I came to the United States, and especially certain news networks, you know they like to portray, oh th- no, that's the only word the French know, right is no, no, no. There were a lot of things in that constitution, like uh, it, it didn't say that men and women would be paid equally for work, and that, that's important to the French. I mean, there are all kinds of things that there were. There were people had lots of reasons for, but but here it was just portrayed as like, oh, no one can get along with those people. But you get along fine with them. Never had any problem. I, I, people say all the time, oh, isn't it hard living in France after the war started and. No, I mean, people are curious, and they'll ask questions, but I've never felt anybody's been unpleasant to me because I'm an American.
0: I just had a thought flash through my... We, I thought, which war? Wait a minute, after which war started?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I noticed that more in England than in France.
0: Mm-hmm. A uh, consciousness that you're an American?
1: Or? Yeah, or you know, people maybe a little bit quicker to, to judge you because you're an American, I notice. Or maybe it's just that I can understand it easier. You know, I can... Is there much tanning in Britain nowadays? You know, I didn't notice, because I didn't notice until I got my own spray on tan. um, That I don't know, and I'll keep my eyes peeled and see if they have such a thing there. I don't, I've never seen one in France, I don't believe. It's a great idea. Do you end up with
0: a full body tan?
1: Oh, yeah, that you can wear your underpants if you want to, but then you probably have to throw them away later. But it. I mean, they, get, they would get that tanning mess. Well, they would tan. Um, oh, your underwear is looking. What a fine tan on your underwear. But if you don't have a tan line, you can't judge your tan. Right. But, so that's a problem with it.
0: But, and the tan line suggests how deep your tan has become then. I mean, it's essential. So do you have, like, you don't have a tan line where, like, golfer's tan, where the the shirt would come part way down your Uh, arm?
1: Like, the neck, if I ever do it again, I'll put a Band-Aid on and then rip the Band-Aid off later and so I can see how dark I got. And
0: uh, is there an aversion to being out in the sunlight for you now?
1: Me? mm, No, no, I mean, uh, I I, I just... uh, you know, just, you, anymore you just feel bad working at it. You know, when I grew up, we would go to the beach every year and then my mom would present. There was, uh, we had the, the Mr. or Miss Emollient pageant and it was whoever got the darkest tan and we would just grill ourselves the whole <laughs> week trying to get that sash at the end of the, at the, end of the trip. <clears throat> so anymore you just feel, well, I don't know. I mean, if you're consciously doing it, you just feel... Oh, I don't know, goofy, I, sp- I suppose. I mean, I was never that good. I didn't, I didn't have the patience. I mean, you know, if you're at the beach and you take a walk, you'll get a tan. Not between your fingers. I mean, my sister Gretchen was like that. She, <laughs> she won every year. I mean, she had a completely, completely even tan.
0: Back of the elbows?
1: Oh, yeah, that's, and that's a full time, that's a full time, that's a yoga teacher. You know, who can get that? The yoga tan.
0: <laughs> There was, a, uh, there, was a, there was a line, uh, I think, in the Melissa Bank book, uh, in the new one, The Wonder Spot, where she talked about the kinds of cigarettes her parents smoked, and the, uh, the camels, she thought you should smoke in deserts, and the Benson and Hedges, you should smoke around the kids. Uh, if I'm remembering the line right.
1: I would smoke Lucky Strike around kids, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know you had a sweet upbringing. D- doting mother and father. Lovely sibling relationships.
1: I uh, I've been what i tried to do, I've been trying to get people, young people to start smoking. And that's been one of the things I've been doing on my on my tour cuz that, like that movie Pay It Forward, I figure if I can get if, if every smoker can get 3 people to start, then we can build a militant army. So I, you know, when I say to them, you know, look, you want to get your weight down. Or, you know, do you have a boyfriend? No, we well, will if you smoke. You know, guys go crazy for, for girls who smoke cigarettes. So I've been trying, I've been doing what I, what I can. You have a, is this a, a formal league you've started? Well, last year for my book tour, I offered priority signing for smokers. So I said, and then I was at UCLA for two nights, right? And this guy, he went home from the show, he wrote to the head of the university, the head of UCLA, of the, of the theater, all these letters, and he was going to sue me for discriminating against smokers, n- non-smokers, on California state property, right? So UCLA said, look, we can't tell you what to do, but don't do that again. But I didn't want him to ruin my fun, so the next night I offered priority signing for smokers and adults with braces. So... <laughs> Therefore, you know, in court it would say, you know, you, David Sedaris, are accused of discriminating against adults who do not wear braces in the state of California. And how could you not laugh that out of court? <laughs> what was the ratio of people who took you up on that signing offer? If you've got 2,000 people in a theater, okay, and if you say you have to have your cigarettes on you, to get your, because otherwise they're just social smokers. A real smoker would have the cigarettes because they'd think, well, maybe the theater will catch fire and I can have a cigarette before I die. That's what I,
0: and if you've got. A little benign smoke inhalation before the real stuff gets in there.
1: If you've got 2000 people, you've got 18 people with cigarettes on them. You know, so 18 people go ahead of you, who cares, you know? But this guy, I just looked at him and I thought, what are you doing in my audience? I was just mortified. I don't, I don't, I don't. You know, you don't have control when you write books. But I don't, I don't, I don't want readers like him. I, I want to. You know, I want to. It made me think for my next book. I'm just going to put something in the front of it. Like if you're, if you're this kind of person, right? Don't read this book. I don't want you to read this book. Have you ever had problems bumming a cigarette anywhere in the world? I never, ever, ever. I was a Boy Scout. And I am prepared. I am prepared. You know, they, when they made it last month that you couldn't carry a lighter on an airplane anymore, I was getting on a plane, and, and the, the guy at the, at the x-ray thing was saying to the woman in front of me, you know, no lighters. And she said, oh, no. She said, I think that's great. Hopefully that'll get some of these people to stop. And I wanted to say to her, "Lady, you know, you can take away my lighter, my matches. I'll I'll use a flint. I'll rub sticks together. I mean, that's not going to get anybody to stop just because you take away uh, just because you take away our lighters. I know I never ask. So I'm always prepared. I never ask people for cigarettes. And when people ask me for one, I smoke cool. I I smoke menthols. I'm the only white person." in North America who smokes menthol cigarettes, right? Who smokes cools? So I just pull it out and people say, that's okay. That's okay.
0: <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a, you know, a little, uh, no bumming, you've got a little circle with a slash through it when you pull that
1: pack out in a way. Well, because it radiates. Them. like in New York, it's like 8.50 a, a pack for cigarettes now. So, and you can't smoke inside and now you can't really smoke outside because people will ask you for a cigarette, right? <laughs> So, uh, but they but I, I've never, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I've ever in my life gone up to a stranger and asked a stranger for a cigarette. And that's
0: the result of being a Boy Scout being prepared. Now, uh, what, what rank did you reach?
1: Um, I was like, oh, I don't know, like near the bottom. I just hovered near the bottom for the whole time. <laughs> but the prepared part really did stick with me. I mean... <laughs> I'm the person that people come to, do you have an umbrella, do you have a Kleenex, do you have matches, do you have uh, like a, oh I don't know, I've got, I've got this little bag right here with me, I've got $1,300 in that bag, (laughs) in cash, (laughs) because I'm on a book tour and I'm prepared. And what do you plan to do with that money? I don't know. Last year on my book tour, you know, I offered priority signing, and so I thought, well, I can't do that again. So this book tour, I've just been asking people to give me money. And is this for change, or is this what you've collected? This is what I've collected in the last six days. I've collected $1,326, and I have it in that bag. And, and how do you collect it? What's the mechanism? I put a basket there, and I say, it's not a... T- on one, one book tour, I had a tip jar... But uh, that's for services rendered, right? And I explain to people, I'm gonna do the service. This is completely outside of that. I just want you to give me money. And I don't, and I don't harass people when I get up there, but I congratulate, you know, I, 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 I say to people, I'm gonna like you more if you do give me money. And I, and like if you came up and you got some books signed and you gave me $5, I'd make a big deal out of it. And the people behind you would think, oh, I want a big deal made, out of, made of me too. But then, like someone said last night, they said, uh, well, you're getting royalties off the books. And I said, it is not your place to decide how much money I need. <laughs> it's not. That is for me to say how much, money, how much money I need. I had a kid, I was in Louisville, Kentucky, and I got to the bookstore at five, okay for the 7 o'clock reading, and there were people there. And I, I finished signing books at 2.15 in the morning. Right? So at around 11, this 10-year-old boy comes, and he drove with his family from Indiana from a farm. He gave me the last dollar and 10 cents of his allowance money, which he had earned through backbreaking labor. But I gave him the 10 cents back. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't... That's kind of like tithing, isn't it? <laughs> I, could, I couldn't take all of it, but it's, it's a lot of... In Los Angeles the other day, this guy gave me $100. And I said, I said look, I don't, I don't really need it. And he said, I want you to have it. And I gave, him, I gave him 80 back. That's how much I gave him back. But it's... And some people ask when I'm going to use it. For... Oh, I noticed, like, uh, the other day in Alabama... I was going through a dry patch and I said to somebody, I said, what's, what's going on? Why, why, why isn't anybody, I mean, you know, I'm not hitting you up, but why, why didn't you give me money? Why isn't everybody, anyone giving me money? And he said, well, word is that you're going to give it to charity. I said, no, 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 I am not giving this money to charity. I said, it's all for me. And then he, g- then he gave me 10 bucks.
0: Now, isn't that a curious part of uh, human psychology? That the idea that you would then give it away to somebody else kept his hand in the pocket, but when he said, no, it's for you, whoosh, here it is.
1: Right, no, the, the sad truth is that people, well, it's not a sad truth. It, people love giving money to people who don't really need it. If, if, you, if you need it, then there's all these strings attached. You know. Well, if you want this money, you better promise that you're not going to do drugs or that you're not going to... But if you just say, look, I'm rich, and I want more. People say, "Here you go," and it's no, no problem. I, I, that must be why George Bush does what he does. He's got a lot to do with it. And I thought, well, why not profit from that? Um, and I, but no, but if people think that you're going to give the money to something else, and they don't want to, and I, and I, but no, but this is just—it just makes me feel good. I get home from the bookstore, and I. I have it in several different envelopes, but I'll pile it up together, and, it, and then I just think, boy, my tour goes on on July 2nd, and I try to imagine how big that pile's going to be, and I have a safe in my apartment in London. It was built, it was, came with the apartment, and I've just got some papers and stuff in there, but that's where this money's going. It's going to go in my safe, and it's going to look just like in a movie when someone opens a safe and they see all that money. That's what I want. Do you,
0: do you organize the bills by serial numbers, sequentially, or odd numbers, even numbers?
1: Well, the thing, sometimes if you, get, if you have a lot of money there, then people decide that you have enough, right? So I always pull someone out of line, and I say, will you take this money, and will you go over there and count it and flatten it out and, and uh, sneak it back to me? And so they always, they don't do the serial numbers, but you know, they always turn the money, they always arrange it, and you know, put all the ones together facing the same way. And it gives them something to do while they're waiting to give me money. <laughs>
0: But when you go through the pile of money, do you reorder it in any way, other than the envelopes?
1: Uh, No, I just, I haven't haven't gotten to, I mean, maybe if I'm on a really long flight, and I'm the flight attendant's best friend, because, you know, all these guys get on the plane, and they, everyone knows you get on a plane with exact, everyone knows you don't pay for a beer on a plane with a 20. Everybody knows that, but these guys do it. And then they think the flight attendant's going to say, oh, I didn't get any change, go ahead, it's free. And I say, excuse me, miss. (laughs) Excuse me. Um, And I learned a fascinating thing the other day. Five flight attendants came to get books signed, and we were talking, and they said that if it's a really horrible flight, at the end of it, they take pleasure in going down the aisle with a garbage bag, and they say, you're trash, you're trash, (laughs) you're trash.
0: David Sedaris has to go
1: collect some more money at the Capitola bookstore. (laughs) Uh, Thank you you. so much for having me. I'm so excited I got to meet uh, Melissa Bank. I'm a huge, huge fan of hers. I got to meet her backstage. And uh, she of you. Thank you very much.
0: David Sedaris. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.